So like what I like to do every time I preach, I like to set the scene. I like to put us in this lens of Scripture that we're going to be at today. And I can't help but think about how this dad felt. Again, it was one of those nights that he, you just can't go to sleep because all you can think about is the next day. Your porn sweat, your stomach is in knots, and no matter how many times you turn over or flip the pillow, you're not falling asleep. You're in that moment of what am I going to do with my family? How am I going to save them? How am I going to help them? I am at the end of my rope. There's nothing left I can do. So this man, Jacob, gets up because he's not going to sleep. And he walks around and he sees his sleeping kids. What am I going to do? How am I going to get my family out of this mess? And as he continues to walk along this stream, he's met with a man. The Bible says a man, but we're not clear if it's God, if it's an angel, or if it's Jesus himself. But what we do know that it is a divine being because what he is about to have is a divine encounter. And what takes place right there on the edge of the stream is one of the greatest wrestling matches the world has ever seen. Ever seen. Happy Father's Day, everyone. Yes, I am. My name is not Josh. Um, I'm Pastor Michael. And uh, our pastor, Pastor Josh, he is actually out in the Pacific somewhere. We do not know his exact location at this moment. Um, but he's out there. So keep him in prayer, him and his family, um, as they're vacationing and getting a much-needed time off. Um, but yeah, just keep them in prayer this week and, and next week as he just enjoys that time. So yes, yeah, so Father's Day. Father's Day is here. I cannot help but talk about my own dad. And one of the things my dad loved to do with me is, like, just throw me around, <laughs> right? It's like, I'm going to throw you in some blankets. I'm going to throw you, like, on the couch and, or in the pool. I'm just going to toss you and see what happens. And how many of you guys are familiar with the, the show The Fall Guy? Lee, Ma Lee Majors? Yeah? Okay. So if you can remember the opening scene or the opening sequence of that show, it was all about the stuntman doing all these crazy things, hanging from a helicopter, uh, jumping from an explosion, and um, going into a pile of hay. Well, every time that show came on, me and my dad would reenact that. He would hold me up. I'd hold on like I'm holding from a helicopter, and he would twirl me around. He would throw me into the pile of hay. He would flip me when the explosions happened, and I loved that. But as I got older... Well, we began wrestling because in the 1980s, one of the greatest things was WWF wrestling. Yeah. I'm, I'm talking like I'm watching heroes like Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, Andre the Giant, Million Dollar Man. I ate that up. That was like my soap opera as a kid, just seeing all these guys do their thing. So when I wanted to wrestle, I wanted to be them. And my dad, he was so good. He would take me out, and, and we'd go see those guys live, and he would just wrestle with me. And it was easy for me to put myself in, you know, the, the, the mode of Hulk Hogan because I'm going up against my dad, who was Andre the Giant, and we would just go at it. 
and I'd always win. I'd get the three count, one, two, three, and I would hold up this cheap plastic foam championship belt like I just beat him, all right? See, for me, wrestling was all about the pageantry. It was all about the look. It was all about the music coming out. It was all about uh, the, the trash-talking demos that came out. That's what wrestling was. Except for as I got older, I realized that my dad was a legit high school wrestler. And he wasn't about the pageantry. He was about the actual technical aspects of wrestling. And where all I was caring about was, again, my look and whether or not I can get my dad with a steel chair, he, he was going to put me in a legit wrestling hold. And I don't know how, if anyone here suffers from claustrophobia. If you do, I'm sorry, because I get it. And my dad would get me in these holds, and I'd be like, okay, let go. But he wouldn't let go. He would like, I'm holding you here. And it gets to that point where you become hyper aware of every square inch of your body that all of a sudden all you want to do is just jump out of your skin and freak out and I'm starting to wiggle. And the more I wiggled, the, the more I got involved in the hold and I couldn't get out and I couldn't get out. And all he was telling me was don't freak out. And I'm, you know, it's like, it's like you're sweaty and the breath and I'm freaking out. I'm screaming for mom and mom's nowhere to be seen. And he's saying, don't freak out, don't freak out. And I'm like, but I am. Because all I'm doing was trying to get out more and screaming. And usually that's how it ended, was me screaming. And him just saying, fine. So much for my championship glory days. Now I'm screaming. But I want to look at the life of Jacob today. I want to look at what leads up to this crazy wrestling match that he has with God. And so we're going to start from the beginning. And over the next five hours, we're going to go through. <laughs> you know, to be honest, I don't know why I said that joke. Because I hear that joke from preachers all the time. And I'm like, what are you supposed to do with that? It's like you give this nervous laugh. Like, is he serious? Or, I get it. I don't know why I said that. But for the next, like, 20, 30 minutes, maybe, um, we're going to recap. So if you got your Bibles, open up to Genesis 32. And we're going to look at what the life of Jacob. What can we learn from this? What can we gain from, from what he's done? And before we get into that, I want to recap to the, to, to the wrestling match. And it has to start with his grandfather, Abraham, or Abram at the time. God met Abram and said that I'm going to bless you. Your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars. You're going to, um, have, you're going to prosper. You're going to have land. This is the promise. This is the blessing. I give this to you, Abraham. Abraham then passes it to his son, Isaac. Isaac then carries that same prosperity, that same prosper blessing, that same descendant blessing, that same promise that God is going to be with you. And then Isaac, at the age of 60, is going to have his kids. It's twins. And I love how the Bible describes what twins are because it talks about, like, in the womb, these two babies are already going at it. They're already fighting. And the woman is like, what is happening to me? Like, it literally says that. Like, I don't know what's happening to me. And she's freaking out. And so when it, time, when it was time for the babies to be born, the first one was Esau. That baby came out looking hairy. Apparently very hairy enough, like, oh, that's the name. That's what Esau means, Harry. 
Now, the interesting thing about this birth is that when Esau was being born, there was another little baby hand holding the foot, holding the heel of the other baby, like a baby death grip, almost as if they were already fighting, like, you're, I'm coming out first, you're not coming out first. And because of that one thing, Esau was hairy, we'll name him Esau. We are going to name this baby Jacob. Now, I don't know if there's any Jacobs here, but chances are you know a Jacob. Good guys, right? Well, let me tell you what the name means. They gave him the name Jacob because he was specifically holding the heel of Esau. They gave him that name, which means heel catcher, which also means surplanter, which also means schemer, which also means liar. That is this little baby's name. And from the moment this baby was born, he was given an identity, the wrong identity. This poor baby, one's hairy, one's a liar. As they grow up, and those of you who have, you know, more than one kid, you will know that every kid is different. Every kid has different personalities. So too do these two twin brothers. Esau loved the outdoors. He loved to hunt. He was the man's man. He loved to barbecue, and that was him. Jacob, he liked to stay, he was a homebody. He liked to stay amongst the tents and just kind of be around home different personalities. So now you got Jacob who was given the wrong identity and now a different personality. Now look, I don't know to the extent of Isaac's love for Jacob, but we do know that the Bible is telling us that Isaac loved Esau and the mom, Rebecca, had to love Jacob. Again, I don't know the extent of this, but Scripture is pointing out very clearly that this is an issue. This is a problem. You need to know that these two boys were loved vastly different. And so now we've got a baby, a boy, was born with the wrong identity, with a different personality, and he doesn't have the complete love from his own dad. That's Jacob. Now, there's only so much you can do before you start absorbing that identity, that way of life that has been thrust upon you before you just admit it and you are what you are. And so as they grow up, these boys grow up, there becomes a moment where Esau is starving and Jacob uses that to his advantage and says, I will give you food if you sell me your birthright. In other words, the ability or the, the, the right that is going to give me all of our father's money, or at least three-fourths of it. That's the birthright. It was financial. Esau says, absolutely. What good is the birthright if I'm going to starve? Because the thing is, like, I don't know if Esau was like, this isn't financially binding. You know that, right? And it's like, I'm still going to have the birthright. Dad's still going to give it to me. But Jacob's like, no, no you did it. It's, it's mine. Scheming already. It doesn't end there. Once we get to the end of Isaac's life, he's starting to lose his sight, and he knows, like, it's just a matter of days before I go. Is that my fault? Anyways. <laughs> it was. All right. Um, it, he gets to the end of his life, 
And he's like, it's time for me to bless my son. The son that I love is Esau. I'm going to give you the blessing of Abraham that God gave Abraham, that Abraham gave me, and now it's going to come to you. And Rebecca's like, I'm having none of that. So she overhears the conversation. Isaac says, I want you to go, go out into the wilderness, hunt me for my, the, my favorite meat, prepare it the way that I like to prepare it. We'll have a meal. I'll give you the blessing. And there you go. Esau jumps to the chance, grabs his bow, heads out into the wilderness. And while he's gone, Jacob and his mom concoct this plan to kill a goat, harvest the meat, put the goat hair hide on his arms, tie it, and hit the back of his head. To be honest, he probably just looked like a moron walking into this tent with like, I'm going to here to fool my dad. And when he walks in with the goat meat, Jake or Isaac says, wow, that was quick. And Jacob's response was, God gave me success. He's inviting God into his lie. He is bringing God. He's playing the God card in his deception. Church, don't do that. <laughs> That's like one of the worst things you can do. But he does it. And he brings God. And over, Isaac is just not buying it. He's like, I don't know. You sound, you sound like Jacob, you, but, you, but you feel like Esau. You smell like Esau. You're saying you're Esau. And there are multiple times where Jacob could have been like, you know what, Dad, you're right. I'm sorry. I am Jacob. I give up. I am sorry. I apologize. But Jacob never does it. He sees the lie all the way through. And in just like television sitcom fashion, when he finally receives the blessing that doesn't belong to him, Esau walks in with the choice meat and says, I'm here for the blessing. Wait, what's going on? What happened? Oh, no. Jacob says, hey, I did it. I got it. I got the birthright. I got the blessing. And just like, if you guys are Godfather 2 fans, Esau says, when my father dies, I'm going to kill you. I don't care for the, that you got the blessing. I don't care if you think you're going to take all the money. I'm going to kill you. What? Rebecca tells Jacob, you got to get out of here. Just, just take off. Go, go, to your, go to your uncle's place, far away from here. But, but what about the money? What about, what about the blessing? I have all that. It doesn't matter. You got to go. You're about to die. Nothing I can stop you from that. And all Jacob does is leave with a staff a stick, where he thought he was going to get millions and prosper. He just leaves with a stick. Any Bob Seger fans here? Bob Seger, the Silver Bullet Band? Yeah. So I've been listening to this song all week. And I've been listening to it because I've also thought about my dad. Another thing about my dad is that he had great taste in music. And when growing up, we had this rule, or he had this rule, when I'd get into his truck and I would say, hey, Dad, can I put it on my, my station? He goes, nope. When you get your own car, you can listen to your own music. I now have my own car, and we listen to, like, VeggieTales stuff. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what went wrong with that. But anyways, I started to love my dad's music. And one in particular was Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band. He got this tape. And we would listen to it. And when he would listen to it, he would almost get in like this trance-like state as he was driving. And I'm like, Dad, pay attention. But he's like, he would just, he would involve himself in the words. And it was a song called Against the Wind. 
Okay, everyone's shaking their head. You guys are familiar with it. I don't have to sing it. Great. But for those of you who don't, I'll tell you what the song is about. It's about, about a young man starting off in life and probably high school age, and he's talking about the problems that he's having as a young man. And he's like, man, I'm against the wind. When is this going to end? I can't wait till I'm older and I can move on. But then it gets to the next part in life, and he's like, man, I'm still against the wind. When am I going to have this moment where I can just move on? And then it goes again where he's older, and he's talking about, like, I like the line, like, the deadlines and commitments. And I'm like, oh, I get that now. And he's like, I'm still against the wind. And then he sits back, and he can watch other young men and say, yeah, they're against the wind. And I feel like that's exactly what Jacob's life is about that he is constantly against the wind. When are things going to get better? When am I finally going to get mine? When can I stop trying to make things happen? Against the wind. The thing is, I think he kept chasing validation because he chased the things that validated him as a man. Money, all that stuff. Because maybe he didn't get it from his own dad, right? Validation's an important thing. I get it. I can understand where Jacob's coming from. I can understand. I'm sure all of us here can understand we want validation, whether it be from a father, mother, grandparent, coworker, boss, whatever. We want that. And I am super guilty of this as well. I can remember the first time I got my first job. I worked at the airport. And I got this jumpsuit, and I got a badge, and I tell my dad, Dad, I got a job. And I'm not, like, flipping burgers, nothing against that. But I'm, like, bringing in 747s. I'm, you know, working on heavy machinery. And I'm 18. I got a job. I got a man's job, Dad. He said, son, I'm proud of you. And then as I grow up later, I finally I go to my dad, and I say, Dad, I found the girl I want to marry. I want to marry Jenny. She's a girl that I want to commit to for the rest of my life. She's a girl that who I want to be the mother of my children. I have found her, and I'm going to commit my life to her. I'm proud of you, son. And then fast forward some more years, and I see my dad walk into the hospital room with the, the wrinkled, cut, messed up hands the same hands that used to put me in those god-awful chokeholds. And I got to place my daughter. I said, look, Dad, here's your granddaughter. I'm proud of you, son. We want that validation, and that's okay. It's okay to want that. It's okay to, 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 to move forward in that. But we have, to be, we have to make sure that it's not our identity. It's not the one thing that we go for all the time. And so Jacob eventually goes to his uncles. He lives there for 20 years. He gets put in a situation where it's like either I'm going to get scammed or I'm going to scam back. And it's not healthy. He starts learning things. But he starts acquiring wealth. He becomes the self-made man. I did it. I got the wives. It's two wives. I know that's weird. But I got the wives. I've got a bunch of kids. I've got wealth. I'm going to go home to my father. I'm going to go home to see if my father's still alive. But he knows if he does that, well, he's got to face his brother. 
And that's where we are today. Genesis 32. So in 32, Jacob leaves his uncle's land. And Jacob also went on his own way. And the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God. So we named that place Mahantham. He met with angels. He is at this camp being ministered by angels. If that's not validation, then I don't know what is. He is in the midst of God. But Jacob's still going to do Jacob's stuff. He's still going to do things the way he wants to do them. So what he decides is, instead of just going, I better make sure that things are okay with my brother. So he sends messengers out. He says, tell them, look, I don't need my father's money. I'm a self-made man now. I have it. You just go. Go out. Tell my brother I'm coming, and I don't need the money. Messengers go. Messengers come back. What did you tell my brother? He goes, yes, we did. We told him everything you said. He goes, great. What did he say? He didn't say a word. He just got on his horse and gathered like 400 men, and they're coming this way. Now, 400 men is not a greeting party. That's a statement. That's a posse, right? They're coming. Now, you would think because Jacob had this amazing time with these angels, this validation to say, Jacob, you're good. You're on the right track. You're okay. Just keep moving forward. Jacob responds with, in great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups and the flocks and the herds and the camels as well. He thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, that group is left, may escape. It's actually an ingenious plan, right? I mean, I feel sorry for the other group, but here's the thing. What's he doing? He's diversifying his portfolio. He's like, I could take a loss here as long as I still have this. I am keeping in control. I'm going to make sure that at the end of the day, I will be okay in great fear, in great distress and fear, Jacob begins to freak out. Panic mode. Don't raise your hand, but how many of us have ever made a poor decision based off of fear? It happens. And so he starts to do that, starts to freak out. But because Jacob was born in a Christian home, he starts remembering, well, I'll just do things that my father used to do. And he says this, then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, who said to me, go back to your country and to your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness that you have shown your servant. I have only my staff when I crossed the Jordan, but now I have become, I have become two camps. There's the, there's the key there. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. That is a great prayer. That is a prayer that shows me he's got it. He was, um, <clears throat> he was, uh, what's the word? Validated by the angels, by God, and now he's acknowledging God. That is perfect. That is where you want to be, except for the actions that followed were anything but. He 
said, yes, God, save me. Hey, but you know what? I do have a plan. And what my plan is going to be is I'll just send him money. I'll bribe my brother. I'll send him some, some of my flock. I'll send him some of my money, some of my servants. That way, when my brother sees that, he'll accept it and we'll be cool. It says right here that for he thought I will pacify him with these gifts I am sending on ahead later. When I see him, perhaps he will receive me. He's still taking control. He's forgetting about his moment with the angels. He's forgetting about who God is in his life. Jacob's reckless persistence to find blessing in his life made him strive against God. The thing is, God was always the blessing. God with us was always the blessing that Jacob had. And while he spent his whole life trying to take control of things, trying to scheme things, God was still with him. And whatever positive that he thinks he did, it was God. But now he thinks the jig is up. There's no more scheming to be done. He takes his family, takes any possessions that they can gather, they cross the stream, and they're just going to sit and wait. Either they're going to hide or they're just going to sit and die. Because you know Esau's coming, 400 men. And that's where we get to this wrestling match. And again, was it a wrestling match? I don't know. Was it like, you know, like what we'd see like in the Olympics? Was it WWE? I don't know. Was it a full-on fist fight? I don't know. But there is an encounter here that Jacob has to have. There's a, I need to get rid of your stubbornness that happens here. So Jacob was left alone, and the man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of his hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. How, how, how did Jacob hang in there all night? This is a divine being, right? How did Jacob hang in there with God and fight or wrestle or whatever it looked like? Well, Jacob's determination is no greater than ours when we want our own way, right? When we want to dig in and we think this, it has to be this way, that's exactly what God was dealing with. Jacob says, I'm not letting go the way I want to do it. I'm not letting go the way I want to be blessed. And yet we get a God who sits there and lets Jacob, for a time, think he's winning. Wrestling with my dad at any moment, my dad could have destroyed me. He could have just been like, nope, you're done. I win. Give me that belt plastic belt. My dad could have destroyed me at any moment, but he didn't. God does the same thing. Where else have we ever seen God's feigning weakness to bless somebody? God is putting him in that position of, yeah, I'm going to lose. Yeah, you're, you're, you're good, just so we can get to the point of blessing. When else, where else have we seen that? Well, we see it on the cross. We see God 
in what appears to be his weakest point, nailed to a cross, but it was his most powerful because he was there to bless the world. And so God will deal with our stubbornness. He will deal with things until he does it. Until he decides we're done. And he does that with Jacob. Touches just one finger. Spent the whole night wrestling. And all of a sudden, so yeah, I made you look good for a while, Jacob. But no more. Touches the hip, wrenches out of place. And from the rest of his life, Jacob will have this limp, this pain in his hip, this weakness. But what we're going to see is this crippling weakness will be his greatest strength going forward. The stubbornness had to play out. Again, God allowed it until he didn't. Jacob spent the whole night trying to dominate God. So now he's clinging to him. Domination to clinging. Jacob's like, now I know who you are, and I cannot let you go until you bless me. I cannot let you go until you have your way, Lord. Bless me. He went from trying to dominate to clinging. Last bit. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Man, please don't miss the compassion of God that has just taken place. He, he, it's not like, hey, what's your name? I forgot to introduce myself before we fought. No. He knew his name. I want to hear your name because you were given such an unfair identity from the beginning that you should never have had. So what is your name, Jacob? No. It's Israel. Because you have strove with God and with humans and have overcome. Not that he's overcome God, but that now you are an overcomer. Israel. Man, the, the, the funny thing, again, it was never about a name. This was an inward healing that Jacob had to have at this moment. It was an understanding that he was no longer going to walk in the hill catcher, the supplanter, the liar, the schemer. That's not him no more. He's now the overcomer. He's Israel. But the thing is, again, it was never about a name because Jacob will continue to go on as Jacob more times than he ever will with, you know, being known as Israel. And my gosh, we have a whole nation on this earth named after him, which we'll get to why at the end. I'm changing your identity I'm changing the way you see yourself because it was unfair. You don't have to do this anymore. He is now an overcomer. The man leaves. Jacob again continues with that, with that limp. Again, his greatest crippling weakness now becomes his greatest strength. He meets Esau. Esau gets off his horse, wraps his arms around his brother, and there they are, hugging and kissing and weeping. They go to their father and complete restoration of this family. 
has now happened. God said, if you would have just listened to me, if you would not have just been putting yourself against the wind the whole time, if you would just listen to me, it'd be different. So what do we do with this? What do we do with Jacob's story, with, with how he did things? Well, we can all relate to wanting our own way. I still want my own way. We can all relate to that. But our way is not always going to be God's way. Look, God is very clear that this world is going to have troubles. This, God is very clear that he knows, yes, you are going to go up against the wind. Absolutely. No doubt about it. But don't do it alone. Let me be with you. Let me go before you. Your trials and tribulations are going to come, but don't do it alone. Here's some proof. You, you know, God's saying, or some other scriptures, God's saying, don't go up against the wind alone, because why? I'm in control. John 16, 33 says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. God says, don't go up against the wind alone because I'm going to fight your battles. And Romans 8:31 says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? God is saying, don't go up against the wind alone because I'm hearing your prayers. And in 1 Peter 3:12 says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. God says, don't go up against the wind alone because I will never leave you. And in Matthew 28, 20, he says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. There will be no point, nothing that you can do, nothing that others can do that will ever cause the separation. I will be with you to the end. Don't do it alone. Life is hard enough. Band, come on up. So why must we understand that? Why must we understand that we need a God to go before us, that we need to God that we can lift our troubles to and say, God, help me? Because of the second thing, we carry the blessing of the Father. Man, the story doesn't end with a reconciliation of the family, no. Jacob will then go on. He will have his kids. They will have their own story, their own saga that they're going to deal with. But at the end of that saga, we get an old man, Jacob, who comes into the court of Pharaoh, into the Egyptian court, which is the, the biggest world power with the biggest world leader at that time. And as his rough leather sandals scrape against the marble and beauty of this Egyptian court, it's silent. And all you can hear is his shuffling and the staff that he once had when he had nothing, walking up to Pharaoh. And we get this beautiful moment. So then Joseph brought his father Jacob and, in the, and presented him before Pharaoh. After Jacob blessed Pharaoh, Pharaoh asked him, how old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, these years of my pilgrimage are 130. My years have been few and difficult, and they do not equal the years of the pilgrimage of my father's. 
Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. Don't miss the beauty of the end of Jacob's life. He was born with the false identity. He was given the wrong personality. He tried to do things his own way. But at the end of the day, after making right with God, he is now before the most powerful man in the world and blesses him. And then Jacob will leave from there and spend the rest of his life blessing his children and blessing his grandkids. And those kids will go on to bless their kids. And those kids will go on to bless their kids. All because Jacob had a moment that he had to get rid of his stubbornness. Because he was going for generations. He chose to stop going against the wind by himself. And that, those people, well, it became a nation. We carry the Father's blessing. No matter where you go, in your families, in your workplaces, you carry that blessing of salvation. What are you going to do with it? How are you going to be a blessing in your neighborhoods? You carry that. And if you have kids, you carry that to give to them. Jacob's life was far from perfect. I think Homer Simpson said it best that the Bible is a book of messed up people except for this one guy. <laughs> Jacob's life was far from perfect. We all have imperfect lives. But at no point did God say, you blew it, time's up. God waited until Jacob was ready so that he can move in that blessing. Doesn't matter how, what old, you, how old you are or what you have done, you can still be the blessing. So today we're going to do ministry time. And, we, and if you need prayer for anything, please come to the front. And if it, any ailment or whatever, it doesn't have to be this. But there are three things that I, I want to pray for people about if, 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 this, if you need prayer. One is the identity. But there might be some people here that have placed an identity on you that doesn't belong to you. But that you're, you're, you're just kind of living in it. The other thing... I want to pray for other people, but specifically dads. Dads that feel that they're up against the wind. Man, I tell you, they're, they're, I feel like I'm sitting, I can sit on my couch with my kids and look at them, and everything inside me wants to say, like, guys, don't you get that I'm making this fatherhood stuff as I go? I don't know what to do. I'm scared. But the difference is, yeah, I'm going up against the wind, but I have a God that I know is going to go before me and is going to guide me on what to do. And so I want to pray for that. For those who are just tired and think they've just been, think, when are things going to change? And then in the culmination of both those things, if you need prayer because you want to be that blessing to your family, because you want to be that blessing to your workplace, I want to release that in you. I want to pray for that as well. But again, if anything else, if you need prayer for anything else, please get prayer. The one time a week where people are here to pray to, on the behalf of God for you. Amen? Amen.